Well, good morning, Life Church. How's everybody this morning? Hey, if you've never seen me before, my name is Matt Jansen. I'm a radical lover of Jesus, and I am on staff here at the church. It's amazing. Honestly, I, I can't believe it. I honestly can't. Tony and I were just talking the other day. You know, I drive up to my office, my office, and, uh, and there's this beautiful view of the ocean. And I'm like, man, God could have called me to Saskatchewan. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Saskatchewan. I'm sure there's beauty there too. But God, thank you so much for calling me to White Rock. So good. So good. Um, it, it's great to see you all. Of course, if you were here last week, and this is your first time, we weren't here last week. And I know a lot of you have asked, so I'll just kind of give you a little synopsis. We were actually at Disneyland this time last week with our family. And you have to understand the significance of this trip because my son, Josiah, has been praying every single night since he was about six years old. Dear Lord, and help us go to Disneyland. Help Daddy to get three deals so we get to go to Disneyland. And he's prayed for it every single night. And so as we left on the trip, I looked back at the kids. I said, kids, this is a God trip because you've prayed for it. And look what the Lord has done. And it was amazing. It was so great. It was everything that you would imagine it to be. Um, there's so many great memories of just looking beside me and seeing my daughter, Ashlyn or Aubrey, sitting there with these big grins on their faces. We're about to go on some fun ride. And um, it was just, it was a wonderful time. So thank you so much for releasing us, Pastor Mike and Ev, to do that last weekend. And we're so excited to be back here with you today. Yeah, Amen. Um, and so today, wow, I get a clap for that. That's neat. All right. I love it. It's great. Thank you, guys. Makes me feel really special and warm inside. Um, today, we are continuing our series of Engage, and we've had a great series so far. Would you not agree? Yes. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about, the, my assignment is to talk about engaging in warfare. Engaging in warfare. So here's how this is going to look. We're going to go to the scripture. We're going to read kind of an introductory scripture. This isn't my text today, but it's just an introductory scripture. Then we're going to pray, and then I'm going to give you about five points. Okay, and then we're going to move. All right, you guys with me? Here we go. Engage in warfare. First, the, the, the scripture is 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. Here's some rustling of some pages, some clicking of some apps as we turn to 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. And I'm just going to dive right in. I'm reading from the New King James this morning. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not, are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down every argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the, na- the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are our mighty warrior. God, this morning we recognize that there is a battle, that there is a war, Lord Jesus. And we know, God, that you have already won. So our hope is in you, Lord God. We put our faith in you. We put our hope in you, Lord Jesus. And we ask this morning that you would take these words that you have given me and you would ignite them with fire and with the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord God, that these words would go deep in our heart, that your word would not return void, but it would accomplish what it is set out to do. God, we pray that you would anoint me as your speaker. Help me to get out of the way so that you can do what you want to do in this place. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, There's a lot of memories that fill my mind from growing up, and there's a few that really stick out. I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad, Gary, was a pastor, youth pastor, for 16 years. So I got to experience lots of really cool things. I was like the church rat when I was a kid, you know? I was the guy that got into everything and knew where everything was and was always kind of under people's feet, but that's how I grew up. 
And one of the benefits of being a pastor's kid, a youth pastor's kid, is that yearly, starting at about the age of 10, we would take an annual missions trip down to Mexico. And dad would gather the youth group, probably about 16 to 20 kids, and they would cram into these two 16-passenger vans, and we would drive all the way down from Chilliwack down to Mexico. And I remember one year, yeah, you have some memories of that too, right? Isn't it great? And, and I remember one year, uh, I was about 12 years old. It was one of the, actually the first years that I actually got to go into Mexico. Typically, we'd stay out. But this year, we actually went in. So it was my, I was 12, my, my brother's about 10, and then my sister would have been about 7 at the time. And I remember going down there, and we went down across the border into Tijuana. Tijuana, yeah? And we went and stayed at the, the YOM base down there, Youth with a Mission base. And uh, the, the, the assignment was for us to go out and do a kids' ministry at this major evangelistic crusade that was taking place in a garbage dump on the outskirts of Tijuana. And so I remember going up there in the afternoon and driving up to this little garbage dump, and, or the big garbage dump, pardon me, and there's all these dilapidated houses and shacks that were thrown together. With, and then you'd walk in, and there'd be like this big screen TV in the house, and then like a tiny little bed, and that would be it. And people would live like that. It was crazy. And I remember going up, and we, we, our, our, our point where we were going to be doing our service was this big, um, kind of like a, a, a dome in the middle of the garbage dump. It was really crazy. It was weird. And it was like a half a golf ball, I remember, this big white dome in the middle of the garbage dump. And so we we spent the afternoon going around and inviting people, practicing my Spanish. Hola, mi amo Mateo, como te ama? You know, and all that stuff. And, and uh, donde está el baño? Which means where is the bathroom? That's really important in Mexico. And uh, we would go around and we'd knock on doors and invite them out and hand out these tracks. And, and so the idea was that they were going to come. We were going to um, do a puppet show. We were going to do a drama. And then we were going to preach the gospel. And kids, were, we were confident. We were a little bit cocky, probably. And I remember that day we went around. And uh, at night, the people started to gather in. And that's when the problems started to happen. I remember um, the sound system wouldn't work. And then the lights went out. And then suddenly this little tiny room that we were in, this dome, if you will, it was probably about the size of, gosh, probably about here to about here, you know, maybe about that and all the way around. No, maybe a little bit larger, but we were in this dome and, and all of a sudden these dogs started running in and out of this dome, coming in and out of the dome. And then the, the, the dust started to come up and you could barely breathe in this dome and there was just chaos everywhere. And everything that we tried to do wouldn't work. And it started to get dark, really dark. And suddenly, the young people started to get sick. And one by one, they would go to my mom and say, hey, I'm not feeling well. And so she started gathering them all in the van. And then, all of a sudden, what we realized is that there was actually a battle going on. There was warfare going on. There was something that was trying to stop us from accomplishing the mission that God had given us. But we didn't realize it. So... The next day, we went back to the, to the, to the base, and, and the next day, we were prepared. Mom didn't let us go, so we stayed home. But I heard from my dad that what happened is the youth group went back there, and they came prepared, and they began to do warfare in the spirit. They began to pray and invite the presence of God. They marched around the dome seven times, and they went in. And that night, there was no issues with the sound, and they were able to accomplish what they set out to do, and people got saved. I don't know if you realize this, but we are in a battle. We are in a battle. And I think sometimes we don't recognize that fact. I think sometimes uh, we're not aware of the fact that there's actually something going on around us. This may seem a little bit strange to you. If you, you heard what I read at the beginning in, in Corinthians where it says, we walk not according to the flesh, but we war. We do not war according to the flesh. That there's some sort of a war going on. Why? Because that implies that there's some conflict. 
that there's something going on, that there's something that we're actually fighting against. Warfare is an act of violence. It's something that is aggressive. It's something that accomplishes something and, and, and um, brings the, the, the goals of the person that's attacking into the person that is being attacked. We were in a battle in Mexico, and we didn't realize it. The idea of warfare presumes an enemy. So the first question we have to ask ourselves is who or what is the enemy? Corey Tenboom says it this way. The first step to victory is to recognize the enemy. I believe we get a little glimpse into who this enemy is in the, in the, in the, in the book of Matthew. When Jesus talks to his disciples about the Lord's prayer. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 to 13 says, In this matter, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's an aggressive movement of the kingdom of God. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In this passage, Jesus outlines for us two enemies that we face. He says this, he says, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. So we have two enemies here that he outlines. The first one is our sinful desire. Lead us not into temptation. And the second one is deliver us from the evil one. The second one is the devil. So let's start over here with our sinful desires, with temptation. If you read this passage at face value, it kind of seems strange. Because it implies that somebody is leading us or could lead us into temptation. It says, lead us not into temptation. Of course, the obvious question that arises is, does God tempt us? Is God the source of our temptation? The simple answer to that is no. However, God has given us a free will which makes temptation inevitable. In the book of James, it says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But then it tells us what happens. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. But do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Matthew 26, 41 says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. First Corinthians 10 says, no temptation has overtaken you except which is common to man. But God is faithful who would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation will also make a way of escape that so you will be, be able to bear it. God, the answer is this, God does not tempt us, but he allows us to be tempted. And in order to understand that, we have to understand what is temptation? How does it work? Can I just say this? Temptation is not a sin. It's an inevitability for those that follow Jesus. In fact, it'd be an inevitability for anyone. Temptation actually is us responding to a desire. The metaphor that James uses, this is the thing about temptation. It's tempting. Isn't that, is that your line? Come on, prophetically, man. We're just, we're already there. We're just in sync, you and me, right? The thing about temptation is that it's tempting. It's something that you want to do. Uh, The metaphor that James uses here is the outworking of temptation is like a conception of a child. 
it takes two. You have an egg and you have a seed in order to make a kid. Temptation is the same way. You have a desire and you have the temptation. And when those two come together, the Bible says that it creates sin. There's nothing wrong uh, if, there's no, if there's no desire, if the temptation is there. If you're not tempted by it, it's not a temptation. And it's not something that can lead to sin. You know, like if, if you go into the grocery store today after the service and there's a bunch of beautiful grapes sitting there in the grocery store and you look at those grapes and you say, my, those are nice grapes. I would like some of those. And you buy those grapes. That's not sin. But if you see those grapes and you say, man, I like those grapes. And if I just took a little bit, a few of them right now and just ate them, nobody would ever know. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a temptation mixed with a twisted or perverted desire and that creates sin. That's what temptation is. Temptation is our desires mixing up with the, the wrong temptation or the, the wrong desire or our actions. It is our own desires that are root of our tendency to wander from the truth. We can blame no one else. 1 John 2.15 says it this way, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. The lust of the flesh is I want it. The lust of the eye is I'll look for it. And the pride of life is it won't hurt me. This is what we're wrestling with. The first enemy is our own sinful habits and tendencies. And the reason I wanted to say this first, you guys, is because I I don't want us to be a church that finds a devil under every chair. I don't want us to be a, a church that gives glory and honor to somebody that doesn't deserve glory and honor. We have to take responsibility for the fact that we are sinful beings and we will be tempted. Here's what the Bible says, though. That each one is tempted, but God will make a way when we are tempted. He will always make a way. So the first one is our own sinful desires. The second thing that is the enemy is, this is what it says, deliver us from the evil one. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a little bit unsettling. That Jesus would use the term deliver implies that we are helpless and in need of a rescue. It's the picture of a hostage or a prisoner in chains. And then not only does he say evil, he says the evil one. So it's not just a subjective, impersonal force, but evil one implies an intelligent, living being. And this is much more sinister. Deliver us from the evil one. And you know who he's speaking of? He's speaking of Satan, of course. There's a great line from a movie that says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Who is Satan? Well, let's get into this. He's a fallen angel. He's also known as Lucifer and the devil. He is not omnipresent. So it's very likely that if you're feeling some oppression, it's not him. Because he's probably too busy. He's called the God of this age in 2 Corinthians 4.4, whose mind the gods of this age is blinded. He's called the accuser of the brethren in Revelations 12.10. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before God day and night has been cast down. Our battle is supernatural. Ephesians 6, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And what is his motivation? John 10.10 says that the thief does not come but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. His motivation is your destruction. First of all, in this life and then the life to come. He wants you to fail. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour. Can I just say it this way? Anything that is not of the kingdom of heaven is of his kingdom. Sickness, death, depression, brokenness, hopelessness, addiction, fear, sadness, despair, destruction, poverty, injustice, racism, shame, and sin are the outworking of his kingdom. I love how Chris Valton says, he says, the goal of all enemy assaults is to scare us out of our divine destiny. He's trying to scare you and keep you away from fulfilling the call that God has on your life. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about five strategies of the devil. And I'm going to give you warfare points for each one. You guys with me? Okay. So we know that the first thing that attacks us is our desires. And actually that is the first strategy of the devil is temptation. To take good desires and to pervert them. We're going to use a passage in Matthew as a kind of a jumping point for this section. And the passage in Matthew is the story of Jesus who has just been baptized. And he's about to enter into his earthly ministry. He's baptized by John. And he comes out of the water. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove. And, and the voice of the Father speaks and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. If you want to know where you find the Trinity in the Bible, that's a great location right there. And immediately afterwards, it says that the Spirit of God compelled him to go into the wilderness to be tempted. Compelled him. Allowed him. So Jesus went out and he fasted and he walked around the wilderness by himself for 40 days and 40 nights. And when he was in his greatest moment of weakness that's when the devil came. Isn't it likely that if the devil is going to use a strategy like this on the Son of God, he might just use the same thing on us? In your greatest moment of weakness, that's when he comes. And so the enemy comes to him and he says to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So what is a temptation? A temptation is where there's a good desire that is perverted. If you just read this at face value, you guys, think about this. The devil says, turn these stones into bread. Is there anything wrong with bread? No. Could we justify this action? He's hungry. He's the son of God. All he has to do is say, stones, bread, now. Stone, cinnamon bun, yes. Stone, pizza. Oh, like that. That's good. No, let's go stone T-bone steak. Oh, there you go. There you go. There you go. Five guys burger, stone, now. Boom. Okay. He could do it, right? There's no big deal. Roadhouse burger, boom. There you go. Right in your hand. He could do it. There's nothing wrong intrinsically with turning stones into bread. If the father told him to do it, it's, there's nothing wrong. The issue here is an issue of obedience. Because this is what we find out about Jesus later on. As he said, I only do what I see the father telling me to do. I only do what I see the father doing. 
That's his modus operandi. Every act that he, he, he uh, produced on the planet was an outworking of his relationship with the Father. It wasn't from his own desire. He could have turned them into bread. The issue here is not bread. It's an issue of obedience. Jesus talked about doing, only doing what he saw the Father doing. Um, the temptation is to use something that is set apart as holy in an unholy and selfish way and thus rob God of the glory and take it for ourselves. They're in giving Satan glory through a victory. What is our warfare? What is our warfare? Well, how does Jesus fight? He responds and says, it is written. How do we fight against temptation? We war by the word of God. Amen. Psalm 119.9. Oh, I love this one. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Come on. The word of God convicts us of sin. So how do we respond to this practically? You need to be in the word. Don't forsake it. Get in the word. Why? Because this brings us back, like Pastor Mike was talking about earlier. We are prone to wander. We are prone to drift. And that's why we need to have a habit of getting into the word of God. Because the word of God reminds us of the truth. And it brings us back into alignment with the spirit of God. We need the word of God. And then what is a practical response to this? How do we overcome temptation? Here's how. Keep your heart soft when he convicts you of sin. When he convicts you of sin, what do we do? We dive in. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God. Know my heart and test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me in the path of everlasting life. That's David. I love that one. If you look into the, the background of that in the Hebrew, um, what that actually is implying here is it says, God, search me, know my heart, see my anxious thoughts. That idea is, God, see my eager desire to do your will. Do you have an eager desire to do his will? Because then, if you really do, when the Spirit of God convicts you of sin, your response is not to get defensive. Well, come on, you know, like anybody would have done that in that place. That was 40 days, and I was hungry, and there was bread right there, right, to get defensive. Your response is, oh, God, thank you. Because my eager desire and my primary desire is to do your will. So thank you for convicting me of that sin. And I'm diving right into that. Lord, I'm so sorry for what I've done. I want you more than I want to feel like I can do this on my own. Amen? You guys with me? That's number one. Okay, number two. You ready? We're just going to breeze over these. Every area of bondage in your life is connected to a lie. Deception. I don't even remember where I got that quote, so I'm just going to claim that one. Because it's just good. Every area of bondage in your life is connected to a lie. John 8, 44 says, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. You know, one of the greatest ways that the devil lies to us and tries to deceive us is in the area of our identity. He wants you to sin so he can call you a sinner. 
He wants you to fail so he can call you a failure. And those words come into your mind, and you have a choice. You can either agree with those words, or you can agree with the truth of the word of God. Because some of us put our faith in the wrong kingdom. Faith is agreeing with God. Faith is agreeing with God. So what does the devil do when he comes to Jesus here in the wilderness? Remember this? He comes before Jesus to tempt him. And you know how he starts his temptation? With these words. If you are the son of God. In other words, you got to prove it. You got to prove it. In fact, in Matthew 4, verses 5 and 7, it says, if you are the son of God, jump off. He takes him to the highest point of the temple and says, jump off. For the scripture says, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands. So you won't even hurt your foot on the stone. And Jesus responds, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. He wants to re-identify you so that he can gain power and influence in your life. Do it my way. See, it's even scriptural. Just do it my way. You want to be holy? Then work really hard. Oh, I'm going to be holy. This is awesome. I can do this. <laughs> Just chain me up. Wake me up in about 20 years, 30 years. I'm going to do this. No. No, 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 no. He became sin that I might become the righteousness of God in him. So I'm going to walk in that. And when he convicts me of sin, I'm going to repent because that's not who I am. I am who he says I am. Amen? Amen? So how do, we, how do we fight? We fight with the truth. John 8, 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Find your reality in his word. Stand on the truth. And here's the next thing. Be filled with the spirit. In John 16, 13, it says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, and he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you of things to come. When was the last time you asked God to show you who you are? In his eyes. Let the spirit of God work in you. Number two. Number three. Distraction. <laughs> if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. Corey Ten Boom. There is so many distractions around us today. In the book of Luke, it says the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear the message, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and riches of, and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. The devil will use distraction to take your mind away. Innocuous things. It's not always the, the obvious things. I remember I was driving down the road one day. I was in, in my business at the time, and this is before Pastor Mike had talked, and I was just kind of going about my thing and, and doing my thing. And I was, you know, this is all good. And the Lord spoke to me out of this passage and said, Matt, you need to be careful because that's becoming you. You're letting the cares and worries of this world crowd out your call. And it was such a good conviction. I said, Lord, thank you so much for convicting me of that. And I went home and told my wife about it. And we continued to pray into that call. And, and here we are today. Here we are today. What is our warfare? We need to turn to Jesus rather than the coping mechanisms that we've developed to distract us from our busyness. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Oh, gosh, you guys, this is warfare. 
This is warfare. This is so practical. That's why I love this. It's just something that we can totally grab onto. What do we do? I'm going to turn to Netflix because I just need a break. I'm going to turn to uh, to the to the Canucks game because they need a break. You saw that game last night. I'm going to turn to this novel, this romance novel, because I just need a, to, ah, something to help me. Oh, man, it's hard sometimes to stop and say, no, actually, Jesus, what I really need is you. Like, that's so practical, but it's so real and it's so true. Just in every day, Lord, I just need you. I just need you. The next one, number four, division. We're almost done. Divide and conquer. When, when Satan tempted Eve in the garden, she was alone. When David was tempted by Bathsheba, he was alone on the rooftop of his palace. And when Jesus was tempted, he was alone. The enemy wants to get you alone and lonely. How do we war? Nehemiah 4, warfare is a family affair. Warfare is a family affair. In Nehemiah, there's a story of the children of Israel rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, and there's an enemy that's coming against them. And how does Nehemiah war against it? He says, listen, gather everybody around you. Nehemiah 4, do not be afraid of them. Verse 14, remember the Lord, great and awesome. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your house. We need each other. Don't forsake the assembling of the saints. Come together, and let's be honest with each other, church. You don't have to be perfect. None of us is perfect, but we're all stumbling in the same direction towards Jesus. So let's just be real and honest with each other. Let's bring other people into our lives, and let's, let's encourage each other. We don't need to live in disunity. In disunity, the enemy is winning. In unity, there's power. We come together. And the next thing is we forgive. Matthew, go back to Matthew chapter 16, verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Joyce Meyer says it this way. Staying angry at someone who has hurt you is like taking poison and hoping that your enemy will die. Unforgiveness is a root of bitterness and death in your life. And we need to live in openness and forgiveness. That's so deep, I don't have time to unpack that. So we're going to continue with that. One last one. You guys with me? The last one is this, oppression. When the first four don't work on us. Hmm. We know about this from Acts chapter 10 where it says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit, with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. What is our warfare? Well, the question is, what is his ultimate aim? And we find out here again in the story from the book of Matthew with Jesus being tempted by the devil. In verse 8, it says, Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. His ultimate goal is worship. And we talked about this a few weeks back, as well as a few weeks before that. So I'm just going to rehearse this one more time. 
Worship is to put something in preeminence in your life. Anything in preeminence in your life. The primary position in your life. When you put something up there, that's your worship. That's what you're worshiping. I'm just going to tell a quick story, and then I'll close. Um, When I was uh, about in my early 30s, Tanya and I were the intern directors at Southgate Church, and we had a a group of young adults that we were raising up as leaders in the church. And every year we started this tradition, we would take them to Ottawa, uh, to our nation's capital, and there's actually a building there uh, that used to be a nunnery and now has been transformed into the International House of Prayer. It's amazing. If you ever get a chance to go there, you should. And we would go there, and we'd stay there, and we would pray over our nation from the nation's capital. And the leader of the, uh, the International House of Prayer would take us on these prayer walks around the city, and we would go around the capital. And one day we walked out, uh, out towards the capital. We were outside of this old church, and we were looking up at the capital, at Capitol Hill, and we're staring at our, at our, at our nation's capital in Ottawa. And, um, and my, the, our guide... The, the leader said, I want you to do something. I want you to stop right now, and I want you to look down. And so I looked down, and he says, that cement down there was probably poured in the 1930s or 40s. I said, well, that's interesting. He says, look, and there in the cement was etched the picture of a spider. He says, okay, now listen, if we take a walk, and we go on the other side of the Capitol Hill, we go on the other side of the buildings, on the other side of, the, uh, of every, all those buildings up there, on the other side over there, there's another spider in cement from the same era. And then if we walk back behind the building, and we walk behind, we walk a few blocks, over there is another spider in the cement. And he says, Matt, have you ever heard of ley lines? I said, no, I haven't. He says, when an occultic group wants to have uh, authority in the spirit, and it's a sign of their authority. But then he said this, but this is what we don't do. We are not here to come against the spirit of the spider. He says, our job is to lift up the name of Jesus. Our job is to lift up the name of Jesus. Psalm 138, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praise to you. In your face, devil. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. James 4, 7. Luke eleven twenty. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And Jude 1, 9. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him any reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Even the angel gave glory to God. Jesus doesn't instruct us to pray, help me to avoid temptation and help me to find deliverance from the evil one. He says, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Our hope is in Jesus. The warfare that we do against the kingdom of darkness is to lift up the name of Jesus, to glorify his name, to explain and express the reality of who he is and the truth of his kingdom, that it is coming and that it will come. In our lives and in the world around us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is our victory. He is our mighty warrior. And he is our strength. Amen? Amen. So this morning, let's just do that. Let's just stand together as we close.
Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord Jesus. And if you can, just lift your hands before the Lord this morning. As a sign of, sac- of, of, of surrender to him. And God, we just declare today that you are Lord. That every oppression in this place must be broken by the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, that you are God that heals. You are the God that saves. You are the God that brings hope and life. You are the God that brings peace. And you are the God that defines us. And your word says that you became sin. That we might become the righteousness of God in you. And I thank you today that we are righteous. We are justified before you today. And we put our hope and our trust in you. And we declare that you are king. And you are Lord. And you can do whatever you want to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. Oh, we lift you high. Oh, we magnify you, Lord. Oh, we glorify you, Lord Jesus. Oh. Come on, let's sing together. God is here this morning and he's moving. I wonder if there's anyone here today that would say, I haven't been following him. But when you spoke this morning and when we sang this morning, something in my heart was stirred. And I want to tell you, if that's you, that's the spirit of God that is calling out to you this morning. He is here. And just every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. If you're here today, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we've all failed. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And that life is not for the future, but it's for now. And so I wonder if there's anyone here today that would say, I want to respond and I want to give my heart to Jesus today for the very first time. 
if that's you right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you just to, as an act of faith, just lift up your hand. Is there anyone here today that says, I want to give my heart to Jesus? should give opportunity all the time for that. Because that one is worth it. Amen. I'm going to ask Pastor Mike to close. Thank you, Jesus. Such a great word, Pastor Matt. Thank you. You know, I think that in my own spirit, my own heart, my own life, I, I need to be more mindful and engage in this warfare that God has called us to. I believe that, uh, that God has a great victory for, for us in our lives. And I'm just going to say that one more time because I think it's important for us as people to grab a hold of this and mix our faith and let our faith be stirred within us, that God has, God has a victory for us. God has a victory for you in your life. He has a purpose and a plan, and He loves you. And I, I in my own life, I'm, I'm determined. I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to engage in this spiritual, uh, spiritual warfare. Not, if not for me, then for my family. If not for my family, then for my neighborhood and my community. And if not for my neighborhood and my community, for my nation. If not for my nation, then for the world. I could go on and on, but I, Matt already did such a great job. I, I want to share this blessing for you, okay? And I want you to receive it. I want you to mix your faith with this. This is found, found in Hebrews 13. It says, Now may the God of peace. Just receive this in the name of the Lord. The God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May this God of peace equip you with all that you need for doing his will. And may he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him and all glory to him forever and ever. Amen.